my favorite way. And then with the money that you would otherwise have spent on trinkets and guilt, you can instead send it to I, I Care For You, um, which is a ministry that we're joining with in Papua New Guinea to help uh, orphans of AIDS. So uh, kind of an awesome ministry. And how many of you guys enjoyed George and Crystal? Was that awesome? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, in fact, I do have to tell on them just a little bit. Do you guys remember when George came without Crystal some time back? And, um, and I came up, and I never do this, but while George was speaking, the Lord just dropped it in my heart very clearly, and he said, you're going to go up today, and you're going to take an offering, and you're going to tell the tribe that this offering is going to be $5,000. And I was like, Lord, we never get $5,000 offerings at Christ Center. And he said, I know. <laughs> and I said, so what happens? Because like usually, I mean, you guys, by the way, are a generous, ridiculously generous people. I mean, I am humbled to hang out with peeps like you. So I'm not, that's, that's no criticism. You're amazing. Um, but a normal love offering, if everything goes amazing, a really big one is like $2,500. That's a big love offering. And that's the biggest I had seen up to that point. So anyway, I asked the Lord, and I said, Lord, what do we do if it's not $5,000? Because if I have to go up there, George is going to hear me say that, and then he'll expect that that check will have a $5,000 amount on it. And so he'll know, so I can't just be like, well, we tried. And he said, you can just take it out of the general fund. And I was like, oh, okay, so Janelle and Jason will get paid late. Okay, well, it's a risk I'm willing to take. I'm just kidding. I did not say that. But, uh, but, but that is what he said, is just take it out of general. And I'm like, okay. So I came up here with fear and trepidation and, and shared. And how many of you were here that day? Raise your hands. A lot of you. Yeah, okay. So you remember. Did I look nervous? So anyway, I came up and I shared that. And we took an offering. And it was $5,000. What? I know. So that was amazing. So that, that was already amazing. And George was, of course, his mind was blown and he goes home. Well, what those stinkers didn't tell you when they came here is that that young man that they adopted, that little beauty, well, that $5,000 covered all of the expenses to adopt him. So the Lord was already going ahead of us to prepare the way that one of his sons would be adopted by George and Crystal. And you got to participate in that. We got to do that. Is that beautiful? Come on. That's exciting. So they just casually bring that up at Jason and Sarah's over dinner. Oh, by the by. Like, I'm like, we would want to know that. So now we know that. Praise God. So anyway, I just want to thank you guys for your incredible faithfulness to the Lord, to his kingdom, to all of us. And your generosity is awesome. So, yay, God. Well, in rejoicing as a family, one of the things that we also do is we mourn with those who mourn. And um, we do want to mourn with Caroline, who just lost her beloved mother. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your loss is our loss. And, and we love you, and we grieve with you. And also, Jeff and Debbie lost some dear friends in ministry in the Philippines. And so, we want to just pray. So, if you're around them, would you just reach your hand out? And uh, Father, we ask right now, Lord, that you would comfort those of us that are mourning. Comfort, Carolyn. Comfort, Jeff and Debbie. Lord, would you come and heal the wounds that death brings? Would you come and bring comfort that only you, Holy Spirit, can bring? And Lord, we do take hope that we will soon all be together. But until then, Lord, be the grace that we need. Be the comfort that we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love you guys. And I am so glad to be with you today.
And, uh, and I'm excited that it's Advent season again. How many of you uh, like used to go somewhere that did Advent each year? A couple of you? I know this is super participation. I'm like raising hands and stuff. Who wants to answer what 32 plus? No, I'm just kidding. I feel like a classroom. Um, you know, Christ Center, we have not always celebrated Advent. Um, Christ Center was formed in 1975. And, uh, and so we've been here for a couple of minutes, which is pretty awesome. Um, but as it turns out, the church has been around for a couple thousand years. And actually, if we go all the way back to Adam, we've been, what are we in, about 10,000 years or so, right? So we've been, we've been rolling with the Lord for a while, and there's been some room for other traditions and rhythms that Christ Center didn't think of, although we've thought of a few good ones, right? Come on, we've got some good stuff going on, but praise God we're part of something that's bigger than just the last 40 years, Yes. But isn't it amazing, though, that we get to be another link in the chain, another generation of sons and daughters that's a part of the beautiful bride of Christ for which our Messiah will be coming. And we get to participate in things that have been going on long before we were here. And God willing, they will continue to go on until Christ returns. And this is one of those rhythms. This is one of those rhythms. You know, there are traditions that we should get rid of. You know, smoking, probably a good tradition to get rid of. You know, it's probably okay to let that go. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm part Navajo. My people smoke the peace pipe. Well, you know, I don't smoke the peace pipe. You know, that's okay. But you know who I do love? I love the Lord God who created this land. So I'm holding on to that part. Amen? But there are also traditions that let's hold on to those. Let's hold on to traditions of the beloved bride of Christ that cause us to go back and remember that cause us to be in those rhythms of discipleship, that cause us to bear good fruit. And Advent is one of those things. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Advent. Um, the, the word Advent is actually derived from a Latin word, which I memorized this morning, and it is perusia. I have to say it like that because in Blue Letter Bible, when you click on it, then the guy always goes, perusia, perusia. And so then I memorize it that way, and then I go all like Latin on you, perusia. Because I also am part Spanish, so I'm allowed to do that. So, yeah. And it looked good too, didn't it? Didn't I? Although Spanish, I should probably say perutia a little bit just to keep it real. Nonetheless, what it means is coming. It means coming. But here's what's wild about perusia is that perusia, it means presence. So the coming of his presence. So I am present with you. The presence of God, right? Jesus said what? The kingdom is within you. The, his perusia is in you. So it's the coming of Christ. And the word advent is then the translation from perusia into advent. Coming. We're looking for the coming. So this is a time when we meditate on the coming of Christ. Now this has been around, scholars believe, since the 4th or 5th century, the idea of Advent. And it was, it was done at this time of year, but it wasn't actually connected to Christmas until about the 6th century. What they would do was they actually took this time for new believers who were going to be baptized, they would take this time to think about the coming of the Lord, to cleanse themselves. It was a time of prayer and fasting, actually. And you would take a time and you would repent unto the Lord and you would think unto the kingdom and meditate unto that and prepare to engage in the work of the gospel of the kingdom. So it was a time of, of, of actually mourning a little bit. It was a time of looking towards. 
And that's where it started. It wasn't until later then that the church connected it with Christmas, and, which is good. That's totally beautiful. Uh, connected it with the, the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. And so now we've been doing that for many centuries. What would that be like, 1,600 or 1,400 years now, right? Um, so we're about 1,400 years of at Christmas time going through those that have, going through the rhythm of remembering the coming of Christ and thinking about that he has come and that he will come again. You know, I, uh, I, <laughs> I was thinking about the, the, the beginning of the year, which, by the way, has this been like the fastest year you've ever lived, anyone? Fastest year I've ever lived. I am not kidding. I feel like me and Jason were just preaching about this about eight minutes ago. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's Advent time again. Well, that can't be right. And then I realized I was eating turkey, and I'm like, well, I guess it's coming. So here we are. Now, here's something that's interesting that all of us do at this time of year. What do we do? We start thinking about that there's a new year coming. And what do we do in the new year? Resolutions, right, baby? Some new year's resolutions. How many of you are already getting discouraged about not doing your new year's resolutions? Anyway, but it is funny, isn't it? We do. And, for, and, and as a kid, I, used to, I remember that the, the old people, which meant they were probably like 30, right? Because when you're a kid, like 30-year-old, you're like, Mom, you're so old. I mean others. I never did that. I love my mom. I'm not like that. You should repent. Um, they did. They seemed so old. And so these old people, the 30s and 40s, right, then they'd be like, well, when I, you know what? New Year's, um, this is it. I'm going to be exercising. I'm going to be eating lots of fiber and drinking water. And I'm going to stop having a pint with dinner. And I'm going to lose 10 pounds, baby, or however much, right? Come on. That's a thing. And I would hear that, and I'd think, that is so stupid. Like, what are you doing? That's so stupid. Why don't you just live a good life? You know, what are you, besides also, since you'd watch them and every year they'd be like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And then they would, which is good. But then like, by the end of the year, they got the 10 pounds back. So you're like, I would, and so me, I'm like, you know, and of course, here I am, right? In all of my wisdom of what was I, probably 10 years old or something with my rock star metabolism, right? You just get up in the morning, you're like, this is what glory looks like. And you haven't done anything to earn it. You got all this HGH rocking, your testosterone, woo! I mean, you got it all. Well, if you're a boy, testosterone. Anyway, well, ladies have a little too. So anyway, let's not get into science. Clearly, I'm not good at it. But the point is that you're, you're, you're feeling great. You know, everything's going good. And I'm looking at these people, making these resolutions, and then they gain it back. And I thought, just save yourself the heartache. Just accept where you are and just be cool with it. You know, just be cool with it and just accept where you are. And then, as does with all men and women, time started to have its way with me. Creepy, cruel, mean time and gravity and entropy. <laughs> Stupid gravity just drooping right over my belt. And so then I started thinking, you know, there was, you know, there was some wisdom actually to what those now, I don't think so. By the way, I'm 40 now. 40 is awesome. I mean... 40 is fantastic. I'm looking forward to 50 because I hear it's even better. And you young people, you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. The more gravity has its way with me, the more that I'm like, it wasn't even that great when I was that young. In fact, I had too much energy. I hated it. And so I'm looking forward to being a little older. But here's what, here's what I've decided. Here's what I realized. <laughs> I realized that was not so dumb as I thought back when I was dumb. It's actually kind of a good idea. It's kind of beautiful that we have these rhythms, we have these seasons where we do make an, a New Year's resolution, where we do go back and say, hey, what am, I, what am I pointing at? 
what am I shooting for? You know, do I want to die of diabetes? Like, do I enjoy getting winded when I go out to get the mail? No, I don't. I don't enjoy that. And I am going to lose some weight, and I'm going to get out there and run like Josh Goof does. I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to not be winded anymore eventually after a while. I'm going to lose some weight. And what does that do? Here's what it does. Now, I know that by the end of 2018, I will probably want to lose the 10 pounds that took me that, that year now, nine months or so, to gain back. But what's the difference? The difference is that instead of gaining 10 pounds every year, which is like 100 pounds over 10 years, right, then I'm still about right where I am and still able to get the mail. <laughs> Are you with me? You see that? You see, because it's okay. There's something beautiful about having these rhythms where you come back and you look at the big picture and you, and you look at, like, what is it that I'm doing in this life? I don't want to have this dead weight holding me back, weighing me down. I'm going to shed that dead weight. I'm going to get rid of that extra because I want to run a good race. Because I remember what I'm about. I remember what I'm doing. I, I remember when the mirror used to like me better than it does right now. Right? And there's something beautiful about that. And that's what these traditions of the church are like. That's what Advent is like. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm where we come back and we remember the vision. We remember something beautiful and we look and we say, is there any dead weight that has accumulated in my life that's holding me back from running the kind of race that God envisions that I run while, while I'm here on this earth as a part of his redemptive plan? Am I still part of that redemptive plan? That's why it's beautiful to join in this 1,600-year-old tradition and say, Lord, I want to meditate upon your presence and upon your coming. I want to take that time. I don't want to rush past that. I don't want to just say, oh, what's another 10 pounds? Oh, what's a little extra weight? What's a little bit slower gait? What? No, 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 no. I want to say, Lord, what are you doing? That's right. That's right, your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth. Lord, let me remember that. Amen? So let's, uh, this, this is the famous, beautiful hymn here from the scriptures. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So we, we are going to get to that part. Um, the, the outline of, of, of Advent um, is essentially that the first two weeks, oop, hello, they're notes, they're important. The first two Sundays in Advent look forward to Christ's second coming, and the last two Sundays look backward to remembering his first coming. So we kind of we switch it a little bit. I mean, both have happened, but, but we're looking at the second coming today, and today is hope. Today we're going to talk about hope. This is this, this, is this hope. This is this, this is this idea that looking unto the coming of Christ brings hope into our lives. But it's an interesting juxtaposition because the first part of Advent involves judgment. Judgment, I know, I feel a Paul come over the room and tell, oh, whoa, you just tricked me. <laughs> Judgment's not very popular in this day and age. Have you noticed that? How many of you noticed that just even saying the word judgment, you're like, oh, wow, I need to not be in this room with you. <laughs> judgment is so unpopular right now in this brief 
moment in history in America, in the West, the idea of judgment is really grody to a lot of people. You're not allowed to judge, all right? You're not allowed to judge. How dare you judge? But the only time it's okay to judge is if I judge you for judging somebody, and then everybody judges that that's totally cool. That's the one good judgment. Are you judging? Are you judging? Well, I judge you for judging. How dare you? Nobody else is like, we judge you also. Don't judge. It's confusing, but I'm just going to let you ponder that for a moment. I'm just saying you are culturally safe in one time when you judge. But the rest of the time, that idea of, a, of judge, judgment, bringing hope is like preposterous to us. It's preposterous. What? Hope and judgment in the same sentence? And yet Jesus, he, he has something different to say about that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this scripture to you, Matthew 20, 25. Uh, 31 through 46. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about it. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and remember, this is Jesus speaking, and all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones. Into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is a, this is a hard saying in our minds. This, is, this terrifies us a little bit. We go, oh, that's so, that's so big. That's so black and white, Lord. That's so intense but Jesus is saying that there will actually be a judgment for what we've done in this life he doesn't apologize for it he doesn't say and he doesn't pull any punches about it he doesn't lighten it he simply says this is what it will be like when I come this is what it will be like when I come. Now, at first glance, we may look at that and think, and, 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 I, and I really believe 
saints, that, it, that, that, that the lenses that we have, are, are, they're a little, they're a little uh, maybe out of calibration because we do live in the place that we live. And as I said, the idea of judgment is foreign to us. It's, uh, it's a little freaky for us. We, we think about that and go, oh man, I don't want to be like uh, you know, a Bible-thumping, judgmental person. And that's true. Don't be a Bible-thumping, judgmental person. I don't want that for you either. You're here to represent Jesus, who came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That's the message that you're carrying. You need to not confuse the message that you're carrying. However, you must also understand that you and I are called to serve a God who is a judge. And he cannot be a good God unless he is a judge, and a good judge at that. You see, we don't cut out the part of judgment in order to make him a good God. He's already a good God. But if we cut out the fact that he's a good judge, then he's no longer a good God. This is an interesting scripture in Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Another beautiful translation of this is that where there is no prophetic revelation, the people throw off restraint. But happy is he who understands wisdom. The point here is, as we're in this Advent season, as we're looking at the coming of Christ, it causes us to remember that there's actually a vision. That God actually has a vision. And he is extending a kingdom. Now we have already received the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who did come to Israel. We know about that part. In fact, that perusia, the presence of Christ, is in each of us right now. You literally bring the kingdom with you everywhere you go. You are bringing the perusia into every place that you set your foot. When you show up into a room, you can say without heresy and without irony and without any other sort of exaggeration that truly the kingdom has come into that place. And that's what we're called to do. We're actually extending that kingdom. Jesus speaks to us in this scripture, and that's something that we're meditating on right now. And he says, I want you to know and take that so seriously and with such great confidence and joy that you get to know that everything you do in my name, in line with my kingdom, even down to the smallest of things, giving a glass of water to someone in the name of Christ. And he says, you will be rewarded according to that. Come, enter into the kingdom of my Father, which was created for you from the beginning of all time. Enter into my Father's joy. The smallest of things. What's interesting for us, that, that, that's worth us going back and examining a little bit, is that when we hear a preacher get up and start talking about judgment, we almost wince a little bit, like, what is about to happen? When we read in the scriptures, how many of us read in the scriptures and go, oh, Jesus, don't say it like that. Oprah is going to hate this. They're not going to dig this. They're not going to like this. Can't you 
change the way that you're going to say that a little bit. But I think that it speaks to a, a, a misunderstanding. It speaks to something lacking in our confidence in the kingdom and the king himself. And, and I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move towards that, but I think that we lose sight of the true... No, I better get right to it. We lose sight of the true vision of what Christ actually has done, is continuing to do, and will finish. And that is that he is the good judge. And he's so good that he himself has been a recipient of that good judgment. Do you understand this? He's actually put himself under the standard that he created. He stood before himself and became our Messiah. He is a God who has given us mercy and judgment by taking the judgment of sin and death upon himself. Because he's willing to do that, he's a trustworthy judge. But I believe there's something in us, and I believe it's important for us in this time while we're contemplating the second coming of Christ, it's good for us to stop and say, Lord, am I not confident in your judgment? Am I not confident in you? When I hear that you're a good judge, does the word hope <laughs> immediately come to mind? Oh, the good judge is coming. <sighs> okay, hope is restored. Because you know what, my friends? That's exactly what should happen. In that day, the good judge will come. then I'm going to go on because that releases hope in my heart because I just remembered my God is the good judge. I just remembered Jesus is going to judge the nations. <sighs> okay, then there's hope. Why? Because he's the one that came to save the nations. He said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. And in that great day, he will come and then judge it. But not before we have this entire life to discover him. And for that hope to become our own. So let me talk about vision. The vision that our beloved father has is for the redemption of all of creation all of his sons and daughters, and all of creation. He wants us to be a part of redeeming every single part of that. We're already extending the kingdom right now. When Adam and Eve were given the job to cultivate the garden, it means that there was a real need for cultivating. And there's still a need for cultivating today. That same mandate to extend the kingdom, to look like the king in everything that we do, is still upon us in this day. And what's beautiful, and what I want us to catch a hold of, 
is that that has not changed. We're still called to engage in the work of the kingdom, both in other humans, his sons and daughters, and in everything that we touch. We're to cultivate that kingdom. And when we do that, he says he will actually judge our work. Why is nobody jumping up and getting excited yet? I must not have explained this all the way. Okay. He's going to judge your work. No. Okay, more exp explanation. All right, think about this. Where there is no vision, people throw off restraint. All right. We're a little bit of a frog in a pot. I don't know if you guys noticed, but in a lot of sports now, they don't even keep score. You're so used to it, it doesn't even bother you anymore. I think it's the dumbest thing ever. The reason why, okay, I can feel a wave of criticism coming. I'm going to come back here. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's, okay, my opinion is I think it's very silly. The desire is to have everyone feel really, really good about participating. And that's wonderful. You should be valued for participating. But the idea that if we allow there to be winners, then it will make everybody who didn't win feel so bad that they'll never recover <laughs> means that the cost is there's no winning. So there's no vision. Did you know that there is great joy in this life but that the purpose of this life is not merely just to have did you know that your father came here through Jesus Christ to win the entire world? Did you know that he's in you and he's still winning? Now, if you don't believe that, then what does it matter what you do? Have you noticed that at the Olympics, they don't just hand out participation ribbons? <laughs> and you notice there's a very important component in the Olympics. What is that component? They judge your performance. And without the judge, there are no winners. All you have is a bunch of really fit people just <laughs> running around, spending billions of dollars in different countries every four years. Or however, I don't even know. How often do they do it? <laughs> You're with me though, right? You see, I believe that the reason why the word hope doesn't come into our heart when we think about the idea of God being a good judge is because I think that we haven't thought about it that much. We haven't taken the time to realize that the good judge will actually make all things right. That he will finish the work that we can't possibly finish without him. But that we've been working with him the whole time. You see, what we are going to get in that great day 
is a judge who actually looks at what we've done with this life and the race that we've run in this life and says, well done. Well done. And he doesn't judge you according to what Red Crab is doing or according to what Joshua Rivas is doing. He He doesn't do it according to what Ameris Star is doing. No, he judges you according to what Christ has done and to what you have done in the life that he's given you. It's so beautiful. You see, he doesn't expect you to do what Jason is doing. He expects you to do what you're doing. He expects you to be with him, bringing Christ into the sphere and the context and the place and the time and the challenges and the relationships and the influence that you have. But don't lose the vision. You're responsible to share the hope that's within you while you're here in everything that you do. And everything that you do for him and with him counts. Are you seeing this? See, all of a sudden, then you go, well, then wait a minute. If everything that I'm doing counts, then this day matters. Now, this list that I, that I read to you about Jesus, where he uses the example and he says, when I come, then I'm going to say to those on my right hand, you gave me water, you gave me food, you clothed me, you visited me in prison, you were with me, you invited me in. You were doing all that stuff. Great job. Great job. It absolutely counted. But he says, but conversely, if you're not engaging in the kingdom, you will be judged on that opportunity that you didn't take. That's called a sin of omission. Now, saints, I believe there's something that's so vital for us in this time of hope. Now, this beginning time of hope is that we're looking unto the hope of glory. We're looking unto Jesus, and we're saying, Jesus What is the vision that you have? I don't want to cast that off. What is it? Because I don't want to miss being a part of what you're doing. I don't want to lose sight of that, God. I want you to find in me that dead weight. I want to take this time and I want to let the Holy Spirit move in me right now. And beloved, also, I don't think it takes a whole lot of Holy Spirit to move in us. I think the minute we think of it, we immediately start going, okay, I actually know exactly what I'm not doing right now. And I actually know exactly what I have been doing. Now, here's an interesting thing, guys. I believe that what we see in Scripture is that when we focus on on committing righteousness, the Great Commission, then we, we move towards doing the things he's asked us to do because of the hope that's in us so then we don't have sins of omission. That's not doing the thing you know to do. Scripture says if, if you know what to do and you do not do it, to you that's sin. All right, talking about sin of omission. If we join God in the great commission, which is to extend his kingdom in everything that we do, in the context that you are, the relationships that you have, the finances that you've been entrusted with, the words of your mouth and the actions of your body, if you will join the great commission to extend his kingdom and bring the parousia into every place, it is 
way more easy to avoid the sins of commission. That's doing the stuff you ain't supposed to be doing. Now, a lot of us today are very discouraged because we keep ending up with the same sins of commission. We're like, I got to stop commissioning that. I gotta stop doing that stuff. Lord, help me to stop doing that stuff. I don't like doing that stuff. I'm almost hopeless because I keep ending up doing that stuff. But I believe that in this time of Advent, this time of remembering the presence and the coming of Christ, that beautiful God who will actually tell you what you're doing right now counts, suddenly then hope comes in because you go, if you're saying that this day counts and there's definition of what is good and what is not good, of how to win the race and what it looks like to not win the race, then that actually releases hope that I can engage in the Great Commission, that I can engage with what you're doing, and that you're counting every good thing that I do in your name, and you're actually going to reward me for that. And then suddenly, look at this scripture, I'm not going to become unrestrained anymore. I'm going to restrain myself from drinking too much, or eating too much, or spending all of my money on myself all the time, from, from, from engaging in things that I should not. I'm not listing sins to try to figure, to ding, whatever. I'm just trying to make examples here, okay? The point is that I will restrain myself to the vision of God. But if I've lost sight of that vision, and beloved, a huge part of the vision of the kingdom of God is that he's a good judge, and that he's coming to judge what we've done. And the reason why that releases hope is because Jesus Christ has saved us from sin. So we're not talking about sin. It's not like, oh, you better believe real hard in your heart and don't doubt it or you might go to hell and accidentally end up in hell. That's not what this is. You're already born again. The hope of glory lives in you. And he's not looking to send anybody to hell. That is not his desire. So that's not what we're talking about. The reason why there's hope is because the good judge is coming. And he is saying, I want to reward you according to your deeds. I want you to understand that how you run this race actually matters. That it's not just, oh, well, we're just all imperfect people. But you know what? If you just pray a little prayer and believe a little thing in your heart, you got your ticket. Just hold on till Jesus comes. That's... That's the sad sack gospel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace. Jesus tells a different story. He says, the good judge is coming. Engage with the king and his kingdom. The hope of glory is in you and he's coming. And everything you do in his name will be rewarded. And you have an entire life to extend that kingdom. So if you're going through a hard time right now, if you're going through a rough time right now, ushers, would you come and bring communion? Then you need to understand that it matters, that this isn't a waste, that what you're going through right now is God is looking at that and he's going, okay, come on, baby, come on, baby, because you know what? You know what? I'm going to be holding up a scorecard for this. Like this isn't just some moment. This isn't just some sloppy, agape grace thing. You pray to prayer, just get through, I'll come day. Maybe someday, maybe you'll have a good life, maybe you'll have a bad life. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. Just try to be cool and be, be nice. No, be nice, but it's way more than that. 
It's that he's watching you while you're facing cancer. And he's going, I'm with you. I'm with you. And while you're in the most pain you've ever been through in your whole life, but you have a moment to stop in and drop a meal off or to tell somebody that God loves them or to extend the kindness of the kingdom in that moment, God looks at that and goes, you're, going, you're carrying a cross right now, and you stop to bless grandma? Write that down. Write that. That's my baby right there. That, you write that down. When you're going through bankruptcy and the Lord says, I want you to write a $50 check to this person. You go, Lord, that's all I have. And he goes, do you trust me? And you write out that check. And God goes, that's my baby. Write it down. What I'm saying is that in this Advent season, the fact that we have a good judge that's looking at everything that we do to reward us for it means your life matters your choices matter what you do matters and you're extending a real kingdom so you don't ever have to be afraid of the judge ever again and if he wasn't a good judge there's no finish line there's no righteousness there's no end in sight there's just participation just participation ribbons and what does that mean you lived and you breathed, you survived and you died, and now we're all together for what? No, Jesus died for much more than that, and he lives in us. Your life counts. Your decisions right now count. So your pain has a purpose right now. He didn't bring it in, there's just pain in this life. And when we face it, we extend the kingdom, and we look towards that hope, suddenly now we have context, and we go, you know what? I don't need to get drunk right now. I don't need alcohol to take my mind off how bad things are right now. What I need is to say, God, I'm not going to waste my pain right now. This matters. What do you want me to do in this moment right now? Because my hope is in you. And I know that, that I get to stand in front of you for this moment. And I want my reward for this moment. I want my reward for this moment. Do you, you see that? I didn't make up rewards, by the way, guys. God did it. Whoever seeks him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that seek him. That's the beginning point. Now, you hold in your hands communion. I wanted to end with communion today, and we're going to do that right now. Because the other reason why, in this time of reflection, of the good judge that will come, is that he's the good judge that took sin and death and defeated it. He is the forgiver of sins. We stand righteous before the Father because the good judge died on our behalf. He took the judgment. So there isn't any left for us in regard to sin and death. Do you see that? So there's no fear for us. We actually look at this God who's going to come and look at what is right and what is wrong. And he's going to establish peace in all things. And we're already getting to be a part of that. But in the places where we are afraid right now, you hold in your hands the testimony. Can, can I have some of that testimony, by the way? You hold in your hands the testimony of who that God is, of who this judge is. So this, when we take this, this reinstills hope that he's coming again. 
well, what's he like? Is he, am I going to go to hell? Is he going to show up and send me to hell? Well, look in your hands. He's the one who said, take. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what I'm like. And if you've seen me, he says, you see the Father. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give unto everyone according to his works. Let's take the body together. Now, some of us have lost sight of the vision. We've believed part of the gospel. We lost sight of the vision. We've thrown off restraints, and we're in the middle of a few sins of commission. And they keep eating our lunch. And as Red says, and popping the bag. I always like that. And you know what? You feel terrible about it. And even as I'm preaching, you're just like, man, not even to the <laughs> other stuff. I'd just like to not be dumb for like a whole day. Well, you know what? Jesus says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive them. And because of his blood, we can receive forgiveness. And then you know what he says too? His mercies are new every morning. So as long as it is today, do not harden your heart. Just combine two scriptures there, but they're both true. So you get to get right up right now and say, Lord, you are the good judge. And you are coming. And I'm remembering the vision. And I'm sorry about those sins of commission. And I don't want to sin anymore in sins of omission. And Lord, I don't even want to be dealing with sins anymore. I want to get back. And I want to run a good race. So, Lord, in this Advent season, forgive me for my sins, but I'm casting off all that stuff. And I'm saying this year, Lord, you've paid for my salvation. You've given me righteousness. And this year is a new year. And I'm going to run a good race. Now, you show me. You show me. And I'll say yes. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. You are the righteousness of Christ. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's take it together. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray your blessing over us as a people. I pray that in this Advent season, as we think about what you've done, that, Lord, we would see you as you are. And we praise you that not only are you the Messiah, not only are you the lamb that was slain, but you are also the good judge that will reward each of us according to what we do in this earth. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Prayer servant team is coming forward. Please come and get prayer encouragement if you need it. And if you're doing really good, come get more prayer. Just double down on that. Love you guys.